With some graduate programs growing and others being put on hold, Columbia appointed back-to-back -back interim deans for the School of Graduate Studies. What does that appointment say about the future of the graduate school? That and more. Go on, what Columbia looks like! This is what Columbia looks like! Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. On December 17th, Jeff Schiff was appointed Interim Dean of Graduate Studies and will begin his new role June of this year. He will replace current Interim Dean, Begin Reichert Powell, who will become the next chair of the English and Creative Writing Department. In recent years, Columbia has seen the Graduate Journalism program put on hold, with the potential of the Dance Movement Therapy and Counseling program being cancelled at the end of January. There is no decision on that program as of Friday, February 1st. Columbia has also seen graduate student instructors attempting to join CFAC, and some graduate programs have seen a decrease in enrollment, such as the Creative Writing and Dance graduate programs. The Creative Writing program saw about a 50% decrease in enrollment from 110 students to 56 students from 2014 to 2018. The dance program saw approximately a 50% decrease in enrollment as well, from 196 students to 98 students, from 2008 to 2018. However, the graduate music program saw a 20% increase from 19 students to 24 students from 2008 to 2018. It was one of the only graduate programs to show an increased enrollment based off numbers available to the Chronicle. However, these numbers do not show the intricacies of these graduate programs, nor does it show how the programs have merged or changed over time. Multiple sources from Columbia refuse to comment and clarify these numbers as of press time. My name is Christopherson Culmer, and I am the Director of External Affairs for the National Association of Graduate Professional Students. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, the National Association of Graduate Professional Students, or NAGPS, was founded in 1986. And so NAGPS was formed to give voice to graduate student issues in higher ed um, at the local, state, and federal level. Um, and so since then, in the last 33 years, 32, 33 years, um, the association exists to advocate for students, but also to empower student leaders with the ability to advocate for their constituents on their campuses. Colmer was the president of the Graduate Professional Council at the University of Missouri and has served on the board of NAGPS for five years and has been president of NAGPS for two years. M Mr. Culmer, through my reporting, I have heard some faculty think the back-to-back appointments is a sign of disinvestment in graduate programs. Based on your experience, could this be a sign of disinvestment? Well, um, I think if I were a student, um, I think it, uh, students um, at, that, at that institution um, could definitely see it that way, um, because ultimately there's only so much an interim can do, leaving an interim in place um, could definitely raise questions about um, the um, the commitment to to that program, you know, to those departments and to that program. Um, there are times when an interim can be appointed um, to, you know, um, enact certain policies or to, in a sense, you know, stop the bleeding if there's any bleeding, you know, or to make or to stabilize things. You know, there are situations when that can happen. Um, but I think, um, in general, going from one interim to another interim 
um, would raise concerns. I could see why that would raise concerns for students there. So, so then what is your thought on the back-to-back appointments? Um, that's unique <laughs> um, from, my, from my understanding of higher ed, my experience in higher ed. Um, typically, you hire, and if, you need, if, a, if a position is vacant, um, you hire an interim, definitely. Um, but usually, usually that interim is there until a permanent um, is put back in place. So replacing one interim with another interim is definitely um, atypical <laughs> from my, based on my experience. I haven't, I haven't ever heard of that situation. You've never heard of it? How, when you say your experience, can you, when you say based so, on your experience, is it through years and so, years of like, I'm always looking at graduate programs, or what exactly is it? And so I've met graduate students from across the country in different programs at different universities, um, and um, oftentimes we hear grievances or stories from graduate students about different situations on their campuses. Um, and so when I say my experience, I mean my experience in student government, student leadership. I've never heard of a situation like this. Um, and I do as much as I can to stay up on just um, higher education news in general. To gain more insight on how graduate programs are run and the responsibility of a graduate dean, I was able to speak with Thomas Regan. Thomas Regan is the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences and the Dean of the Graduate School at Loyola. Loyola has 1,500 graduate students, 27 PhD programs, a professional doctorate program, 37 master's degree programs, 7 dual degree programs, and 4 plus 1 programs which allows a student to come for five years and earn a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree in their fifth year. But I am curious, when we talk about two-year appointments, how much is one person able to get done? You know, when we're looking at Columbia, they're trying to add, you know, new stuff to the programs and trying to launch civic media and they do all these things, increase enrollment, blah, blah, blah. And when you get to that, are you able to get that done in two years? So in your experience, in your time as dean, what are some successful programs or policies you implemented, and could you have done them in two years? Well, I mean, we started a legal studies program at Fairfield, as I mentioned, and, you know, we had a brand-new program, and a year or two later, we had 85 minors. It, was, it wasn't a major, it was a minors, and that, that just took off. I mean, that was incredibly successful. And then here at Loyola, when I came here, we had a minor in neuroscience, but I said, like, we really had, this is the future, and we really need to amp this up. And so, again, we've had a very successful launch of a major, and we have it in two tracks. We have a cognitive track, which basically works out of the psych department, and then a molecular track that works out of biology. And literally, again, you know, this is an idea I'm pushing, but, I mean, I'm not doing it. I have a great team that does it. And so we went from a brand-new program with zero majors, and now we have, like, 430 neuroscience majors, and that's incredible. And then also, too, uh, another program that we said, this is the future. We've got to be on top of this. We launched, last year, we launched a new major in cybersecurity. Well, then actually touching on that point, because Columbia does have some programs on hold. They want to launch new graduate programs. How long does that take to implement? Is that something that could be done in two years? Uh, from conception to launch, I think it would basically be uh, two, two years would be the window. When you say conception to launch, is that from having the idea to creating the program? And, and does that window allow for any growth? It depends on if you're attracting new majors or you're just sort of moving around the pieces on the chessboard. So, I mean, you know, do we add new majors? I, with neuroscience, I think we, we brought in students who might not have come here because we had a neuroscience degree. 
so these are new students, so not just bio bio pre meds that want an extra card in their quiver arrow in their quiver when they apply to med school. Hmm. Mr. Regan, I have one more question. Uh, you have briefly been told about some of the, uh, the the things going on in Columbia's graduate program, and based on what you know and your experience, are these programs something that back-to-back interim deans can take on? We're talking about launching new programs, making sure existing programs are, are running steady. Is that something someone uh, in an interim dean role could do? You know, if you're going to launch new programs uh, or really go down really exciting places, that has to be a collaborative effort. You can't have a dean be a total lone ranger. So, a, you know, a dean can say, no, we're not going to do this. But to launch something that's really exciting, you need the CFO on board. You need the provost on board. Uh, you need pers- HR. And it, it gets much more complicated. So my management style, my philosophy, is I see myself as the hub of a wheel. And at the end of each spoke is someone that can do their job far better than I can. And so my job is to get the most out of the people on my team. And so I think you do a lot more listening than you do pronouncing because most of the people on your team are far more competent at what they do than I am. (laughs) Some of the other people helping the graduate program include people in the admissions office. Last week, Chronicle Headlines reported Vice President of Enrollment Management Michael Joseph said Columbia plans to create new graduate programs and implement four-year undergraduate programs that would allow students to spend one year as a graduate student, otherwise known as four plus ones. Uh, speaking specifically on... Uh, For the student the perspective, program, the, the I was able to speak with Adam Dibb in his final semester as a graduate student at Columbia. Dibb is currently in the music composition for the screen program and had nothing but glowing remarks. And I have not been disappointed in any way. This, uh, I find, is a, is a real gem in music departments in general, from what I've, I've seen. In, um... Adam, in your experience, have your questions, concerns, or, or anything always been answered in your time at the graduate program? Have you felt heard? Uh, again, specifically in my department, yes, very much. Uh, we have a very specific... Uh, we have what uh, what are we meet up every twi- uh, twice a semester, the beginning and the end, and we just have a graduate meetup in our program, and it includes program director and all the students, uh, first and second years, and we just talk and we say the point of the meeting is uh, what's not working, what what's working really well, what has to be changed, and what what are your likes and dislikes, and from there we go forward and we truly make uh, differences and changes in what is really working, what do, does need to be changed. And from my time here, and it's only been this going on the, the final semester, however, um, from even my time here, there have been changes made that was in the positive direction. So I was very, really happy about that. Along with Dib, assistant professor in the communication department and graduate program director for the communication department, Yanti Friesem, had good things to say about the School of Graduate Studies. Friesem said the School of Graduate Studies is trending in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, everybody is very supportive in the department, in the graduate school, in the college, has been uh, very supporting of the graduate studies um, and looking to um, have the new civic media, MA. We're looking at offering new majors and modifying and changing to make it more updated the journalism degree as well. 
So, Yanti, for someone who is not involved with the day-to-day operations of the graduate department, is there any reason to be concerned? No, I don't see um, any issue to be concerned about. I think it's part of the transition that Columbia in general is going through in order um, to really uh, be more connected to the community and offering relevant degrees. So by going through a process like this, there's always changes, there's always challenges, but I think there's a good faith between everybody that we're on the right path in growth, and you can see in the numbers that there is a growth um, of the graduate uh, students. So, Yanti, I, I know you haven't been at the school super long. I think it's roundabouts a year. But would you say that the School of Graduate Studies is prepared for the transition between one interim dean and a second interim dean, and that it will be a smooth transition, ensuring future growth for the programs? No, I think the way that it has been done was really well-planned since uh, the current interim dean, um, she's going to step down only at the end of the spring semester. And during the spring semester, um, they're um, working together, the two interim deans, the the one who is um, stepping down, the one who is entering. Yes. So they're working together and having meetings with us directors to make sure that they know what's happening, how it happens. And and the interim director of the graduate studies is an important key person that gets all the information, but is not the only person to decide. There is the graduate council, and that's all the directors with department chairs that are making the decision in a democratic way. After completing my first interview with Yanti, I went back to talk with him one more time about the civic media program, and after an application deadline had passed. So Yanti, since we last talked, what are the updates on the program, and do you know how many applications it has received? For civic media, we have uh, 16 applications, but it's not. It, the deadline is just a deadline for um, uh, to be considered for scholarships. Mm-hmm. We keep like admitting, so this is not the end number. Yeah, exactly. This is not the final number. So then, are, are you satisfied with that number? I mean, again, it's very difficult when you're starting a program especially civic media that a lot of people don't know what it means. So people are not searching online for civic media. They're searching for media design. They're searching for uh, digital and social change. They're looking for social media and social justice, stuff like that. So, so I think it's going to take us two years to get to a bigger pile of applicants. But to think that 16 people want to go to a program that is going to be open knowing that they're going to be first-year students, that's very exciting. But at this time, you don't know how many students that could translate to. So those 16, you have no idea how many may be coming? Who knows? That's, you know, yeah, it depends. And also once you accept, some will get scholarship, some will get assistantship, some will not. So there's a whole process that's going to take us six months until we have like uh, a more accurate number. And even then, things change. Like during my program, when I was a graduate student, people dropped like after a week, after two months. So things are not like exactly the numbers. I am curious, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the civic media program supposed to start this semester? We had uh, a thought of maybe starting it earlier, 
but then we realized that we haven't done enough preparation to start the program. So we decided let's just start it later so that we'll have everything like in shape. Uh, I don't think I have anything else, but if you want to update any statements or anything else about the graduate department, I think you nailed it the first time, but if you're like, you know what? Yeah, no, I this. think, yeah, everything seems to like work and, um, and uh, from what I've read, there is an increase in general in the school with graduate students. In applications, right? Yes, in yeah, applications, okay. not in admission yet, because we don't know. Um, so rece we received an email um, from the graduate school saying there is an increase um, of applications. I don't have the numbers, but... Incoming interim graduate dean, Jeff Schiff, and current interim graduate dean, Pagin Riker-Powell, referred their comments to Interim Senior Vice President and Provost Suzanne Blum-Malley, who responded with a statement that reads, The School of Graduate Studies is working diligently to offer current graduate students an exceptional experience and to expand our program offerings for future growth of graduate education at Columbia. Dr. Reichert-Powell and Dr. Schiff will be working very closely over the next months to make sure that the transition between deans is smooth and productive. The statement did not address the back-to-back -back promotion of interim graduate deans, nor did it address how prepared the graduate school is for the future and how it will continue to grow and increase enrollment. That's all for this story, but stay tuned for more. Let's move on over to the world of obituary writing in the small town of Crestfall, Idaho. This certain town has a rather committed obituary writer who does more than just write about deaths. He investigates them. And during his investigations, he has crossed paths with murderous farmers, man-eating cats, and haunted bicycles. The story of this town and this writer is best told in the podcast, Death by Dying. I was able to speak with senior cinema art and science major Evan Gola, 2018 cinema art and science alumnus Josh Jordan, and 2018 interdisciplinary arts alumnus Nico Gerentes, the minds behind Death by Dying. This trio writes all the scripts, does all the producing, and just about anything else you can think of to make the show happen. So guys, we're sitting here with man-eating cats and, and haunted bicycles. It's, how did the idea for this podcast get started? And for clarity's sake, it would be helpful if you introduced yourself before speaking. Hi, this is Evan. Um, <laughs> so when it started, I was in a podcasting class with Matthew Cunningham. Uh, and it kind of started because I, I didn't want to do the work that he assigned for the class. <laughs> uh, he, all of his assignments, essentially for the class, you had to create one episode of a podcast. And everyone did nonfiction, and all of the assignments were surrounded around nonfiction, but I'm a fiction storyteller by heart, and kind of gravitated towards this concept. I think it started with, with Josh and I, uh, that it was just going to be an obituary podcast. Every episode would be an obituary of a fictional character who had died. And there wasn't this whole dark, gothic, you know, black comedy kind of thing going on. It was just kind of going to be like, you know, uh, 
this gentle chap liked apples, you know, <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. And then I, I, I know the, the three of us have a tendency toward the more, what would you guys say? A little more fantastical, uh, yeah. dark. <laughs> Whimsy. Whimsy. Yeah, we, I think. Yeah, not, not taking itself so seriously type of thing, yeah. I yeah, gravitate, so, this is Nico, I gravitate towards comedy for sure, so. And so, this is Evan. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that comedy aspect of it kind of just naturally bled into the whole process of creating that first episode. Yeah, I, so this is Josh. Uh, I have, like, I remember the one of the first times, like, we told anyone about this. We just started writing, like, the pilot episode. And the pilot episode was fun, but, like, it's, it's nothing like the show. It's more or less it got better. <laughs> it got better. Um, and, and we, we, like, afterwards, we were taking an Uber to the train. And, like, it was so early. And there was this guy. And he's like, so what, what were we all just doing? We are like, we were just uh, working on our podcast, which is an obituary podcast uh, about an obituary writer who solves murders in a small town of Crestville, Idaho. And the dude's like, Oh, that's amazing! I, I tell me what it's about. And we're like, we're like, Re really? I mean, like, we're like, it's not really a. Okay, we'll tell you. He's like, yeah, man. No, seriously, what's it? What's it gonna be called? And I think back then it was called like Gary died. Uh, yeah, no, it was called Gary died. <laughs> um, that was that was what it was named at that point. And he's like, all right, I'm gonna look up Gary died. And that'll find and he's, and he's still looking. He's waiting. I have a good. Uh, I have a good segue off of this. This is Nico. Yeah. So. When uh, Evan got together, Gary died for his uh, class project then, and presents it. Uh, Matthew Cunningham, the teacher of the podcast class, emailed me because I, I'm really involved in like audio drama at Columbia. I relaunched a club, and I really just loved working on audio drama. Uh, Matt Cunningham reaches out to me and goes, hey, I think you should uh, talk with this student. He's doing some weird stuff in my class. <laughs> you know? And uh, I said, okay, I'm intrigued. And uh, Matt... I said, you know, what is it? He goes, oh, it's this obituary writer podcasting. You can't really explain it too well. And then he's like, well, I'll just, I'll just, he goes, I'll just play it for you. I'll just play it for you. So he plays it, and just hearing Evan's voice and the quirkiness, it's not, it's very close to the format of what the podcast ended up being. Um, but there's all, he, Evan had to hit different things for the assignment. But immediately, I don't know what it was. I was just drawn to it. Because I was like, I don't really understand what I'm listening to, but like, I want to buy it. Like, I'm in. <laughs> like, I want to talk to this guy because he's just, what I always say is, he's just going for it. I've got a couple questions left here. And with that said, I have to mention this one. Death by Dying is top 150 in performing arts podcasts on Apple Podcasts, so iTunes. What was it like? Where? How'd you guys figure out that you cracked, you know, 150? You're one of the best in the entire country. What was that feeling like? Walk me through it. This is Josh. Um, so we saw we saw we hit top 200 early-ish in the day, and I was at a coffee shop visiting my girlfriend, and I saw Evan's like all caps text, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like so happy, and I like I was like, oh my goodness, and I said it really loud. And then I high-fived my girlfriend, and then another barista saw how happy I was, and that's what happened. And so to congratulate me, she gave me a free cinnamon roll. Nice. <laughs> so I didn't, get, I didn't get a free cinnamon roll. What is it? It was amazing. And she said she's going to listen to it. And then later that evening, I was texting with Evan, and we'd been 
checking it periodically, and we went up like 50 spots, I think to like 105 or 104, like Nico said. And I was in the bath, actually, when I saw we hit 105, and I was like super happy, and I was worried I'd drop my phone. And then I got out of the bath in a towel, and I high-fived my mom. So, okay, apparently, apparently Josh had a great day. Yeah, you take a bath, we're hanging out with women. <laughs> I, I live the life of I'm an illustrious bachelor. That's me. Um, this is Nico. I remember too. Evan was texting me, and I was in a diner just emailing people about job leads and stuff. And he texted me that, and I seriously started just like tearing up because I was like, "Whoa, it's the like I said that whole full circle thing is like our artwork is on iTunes now. It's like it looks like a real thing, <laughs> you know." Even though it is a real thing because we made it, it just makes it seem so much more... Like, imagine creating something and you go to Costco or Target and you see it on the shelf or something. That's what it felt like. Hmm. I hadn't thought about it like that. That's one interesting way to put it. And I'm just about out of time here, so I have to pass along my last question. Of all the characters who have died in Death by Dying, whether it's the main focus or someone who died throughout the episode... Who was your favorite character that died, and why? You can answer in about a sentence or two. Oh, oh died? Okay. That's a great question. <laughs> Someone go first. <laughs> oh, I was going to take a sec. Oh, um... Oh, no, I know. <laughs> I'm thinking, Evan, you go if you know. All right, this is Evan. My, my favorite death is Bernard Hudson from the first episode. <laughs> she tries to kill the obituary writer, and instead of killing him, she accidentally kills her lover. She tries firing the gun again, and her gun malfunctions and shoots her own hand off. And then she runs into a field, and the cannon in the town gets fired off, uh, acknowledging the death of a goat that died in town, and the cannon comes down and decapitates her. There's nothing more satisfying than that. Uh, so, so that's me. It's just it's just such an absurd, rapid chain of events that I, I can't help but, but love how everything goes. Sorry. I'll, okay. I'll go a bit more simple because I use this all the time when I pitch the show. Like, I talk about the weird ways people died, like um, how Aunt Lillian bled to death from a paper cut. <laughs> like, yeah. I just... I just think that sentence alone is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> My favorite, uh, this is Josh, have to be, uh, and I was worried Nico was going to steal mine, is Martin. Ooh, Martin I was say, my original one was Wyatt, but go for it. Sorry. Ooh. Martin, Martin inhabits the soul of a bicycle, or he, he is, his disembodied soul is in a bicycle, and he rides around the town at dusk. And in his life, he was a quiet, nice man. And he enjoyed maple syrup on his pancakes at the Pancake Social, and it was he was he was he was a good guy. He loves Persian rugs. Uh, yeah, that was so and much more poetic than mine. I love it. I love that. Like mine's like yeah, this woman's decapitated because of a goat cannon, and then <laughs> and then and then yours is like yeah, he was you know he was a good man, and then he died, and then he became a bicycle. <laughs> And that should sum up Death by Dying. That should sum up the show, yeah. Well, we are out of time, and uh, I'd like to thank you all for speaking with me today. You can catch Death by Dying on Apple Podcasts. The first season is up, with plans for a second season slated to be completed by May of this year. They said it'll probably be a little bit longer than the first season, which accompanied five episodes and one live episode. 
But before we go, I was able to get about a minute, minute, 20 second intro to the first episode of Death by Dying, so let's give it a listen. Hello. I am the obituary writer of this lovely town of Crestfall, Idaho, and this is Death by Dying. Wyatt Hudson, 47, died late Sunday evening as the stars began to fill the black abyss that is the sky. Wyatt, as everyone most certainly knows, was the local farmer of blue stem grass in the farmlands of Crestfall. Wyatt was basically everyone's favorite person on the planet. I'm not kidding. I never joke, except when I do. But in this instance, I do not. In the month of April alone, Wyatt revived 35 kittens from the precipice of death. He skydived with dolphins. He bowled overhand. He saved a boy from perishing in a recent mudstorm. He baked everyone cookies in town every time someone died, which gradually made the townsfolk wish more people would start dying off. Mrs. Shambles' dog caught on fire again, and Wyatt extinguished the flames valiantly by swinging the dog around over his head. The dog later developed telekinetic powers. Wyatt recycles. Yes, Wyatt Hudson was freaking awesome. Again, that was Death by Dying, and you can listen to that on Apple Podcasts. And you can get more reporting on that story on our print edition or ColumbiaChronicle.com. But thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CEC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the Chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. I've been your host, Blaze Mesa. Till next time. <laughs>